Thank you for joining our Transform 365 podcast, a discipleship and teaching ministry of SWCC. We pray this teaching helps you to grow in your journey with Christ. We have some great resources available for you on transform365.com webpage. Feel free to download discipleship materials, small group teaching, as well as peruse our training workshops. Also take time to visit www.swcc.org for videos, teaching, and more. We thank you for listening and your support, and we would love to hear from you. So use our contact page and drop us a line. Now, for our podcast teaching. Growing up, we always heard the golden rule, right? You guys know what I'm talking about, the golden rule? Live by the golden rule. Class, we live by one standard, and that standard is the golden rule. Treat others, and say it with me, how you want to be treated. But did you know that that comes from ancient roots? It actually was a saying that was being told in the time of Jesus. Uh, There was a rabbi, his name was Rabbi Hillel, and uh, he said this, this is where we get the golden rule from, that which is hateful to you, do not do to your fellow. That is the whole Torah, and the rest of the explanation you need to go and learn. (laughs) That's what he said. But Jesus takes a little bit different of an approach. You know, a lot of times we read in Scripture uh, the golden rule, and and sometimes in our Bibles, the the passage that we're going to study today is even titled the golden rule. But Jesus takes a different approach. The summary of the law in Jesus' eyes, the summary of the law is to love God and love people. If you guys have your Bibles, go ahead and take them out and open up to Matthew chapter 7. We're in verse 12 as we continue our series on the Sermon on the Mount. And in Matthew chapter 7, verse 12, Jesus says this. He says, In everything, therefore, treat people the same way you want them to treat you. That's the golden rule. That's the standard by which we set, right? I want people to treat me nice, so how should I treat people? Nicely. I want people to deal deal fairly with me, so I'm going to deal fairly with them. But Jesus says this, For this is the law and the prophets. Jesus is saying, hey look, you want to know what the law teaches. You want to know what the prophets they're all about this entire time treat people as you want to be treated it's the law of love it's the law of love and just as jesus spins things on their head he does it again He says, this is the law summed up. This is what God intended for you when He called you, when He gave you the Ten Commandments, and and He called you out of Egypt. He says, this is how you live at peace. Yes, the law says, don't kill anybody. You shall not murder. You shall not covet. You shall not have any other gods. But he says, the summary of all of its teaching of the law of God and the prophets is... 
love. Treat people and treat God the way that you want to be treated. You want respect? Treat God with respect. Treat others with respect. You see, that right there is the summary of what Christ says here. This is how to live at peace at all times. If you don't want it done to you, don't do it to others, don't do it to God. But in Christ, He always takes things a little bit further because Jesus doesn't want just obedient robots, does He? He doesn't say, okay, just do this. He doesn't say, that thing that is hateful to you, like the Rabbi Hillel was teaching in Jesus' time. The Rabbi Hillel was saying, hey, you know what? Don't do evil things. Jesus says, do not do evil things, but also do good things, and the good things that you want to see in your life, do it to other people. If you see somebody in need, help them. Why? Because there's going to be a time that you're in need. You see, Jesus always spins things and takes it further and deeper. Because in the end, there's always going to be an application that points back at us. There's always going to be a time that we're in need and we're looking to God and we're saying, Lord, why? Or, Lord, I need You. Or, Lord... And He's saying, okay, I'm here. But You're my hands and feet. So do unto others. He doesn't just want obedient robots. He doesn't just want pious Pharisees. You know what God wants? You know what Jesus is trying to teach towards when He's speaking to His disciples? Is He wants hearts that are turned toward Him. He's always speaking towards your heart. He's always talking to a heart issue. Where it's not just another box to check. You see, the Pharisees, they would approach life with a box to check. I did my tithing. Check. I did my good deed. Check. I tithed and, and, and I, I fasted on Tuesday and on Thursday. Check. Jesus is saying, hey look, no, there's a deeper reason for everything that you do in life. When you pray, don't stand on the end of the street corners and in the synagogues and speak loudly and with lots of words so people can hear you. When you fast, don't put you know, ash on your head and wear sackcloth and go around saying how hungry you are. It's been so many days. Jesus said, no, wash up, look good, and look like everything's good because why you're being filled with the Holy Spirit and with God's Word in your life. You see, everything is speaking towards the heart and the relationship that you have with Jesus Christ in God. And so he wants our hearts turned toward him. And this passage is no different because in Jesus, it's not about the things that you have to do. This is important, so on everybody, listen up. In Christ, it's not about the things that you have to do. It's about the things that you want to do because of what Jesus did for you. That's why Christians proudly wear the symbol of the cross. That's why we love to have crosses in our churches. 
as, as it was prophesied before, this is a symbol, a symbol of wrong, a symbol of pain, a symbol of a curse. Cursed is every man who hangs on a tree, but it became a symbol of love for us. I mean, that's why we have John 3.16, for God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. And what did He do? He hung on a cross for my sin. And He hung on a cross for your sin. And Jesus is saying here, let that love drive you to do good works. That's what Ephesians 2.8-10 is all about. He says, hey, listen, for it is by grace through faith you have been saved, not of works, lest any man should boast. For you are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works. The cross should compel us, should drive us out of love to live for Jesus. Amen? It's not about have-tos in life. It's not about checking boxes of getting things complete in life, especially in our relationship with Jesus, because Jesus is beyond the law. Jesus is beyond the summary of some Rabbi Hillel. He's beyond all those things of what we must do. And He says, get to the heart issue. You have a bad heart. Let's change it. Let's change it to look outwardly towards God and towards people. Don't just think selfishly of what can I do to please God so God pleases me. He says, I want you to get to the heart of this issue, which is I love God so much, I love Jesus so much that I want to live for Him. The law of the prophets is this, and everything, treat people the same way you want to be treated. That's fulfilling the law of the prophets and of God. It's a law of love. John 15, 12-17 says this, This is My commandment, that you love one another just as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that one laid down his life for his friend. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you slaves, for a slave does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friend for all things that I have heard from my Father I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you would go and bear fruit, and that your fruit would remain, so that whatever you ask of my Father in my name, He may give to you. This I command you, that you love, say it with me, one another. Jesus' law is not obedience, but love with. He's saying, I don't want obedience to something, I want love with. Love with action. Love with words. 
Love with your choices. You see, love with, not obedience to. Here Jesus expresses the connection and growth that can take place based on position and interaction to Him and others. He says, if we are close to Him, learning from Him, you will prove to be My disciples, My learners, that you have been learning and sitting at My feet, reading My Word, following and applying. If you do works, actions, speech, that show love towards others. His command isn't obedience to the Sabbath. Does Jesus say in this, hey, I'm giving you a command. I want you to go to church on Sundays. No. He doesn't say, hey, listen, I, I, I'm giving you a new command. I want you guys to make sure that Wednesday nights is clear and you're either at Bible study or you're helping out in Awana. Does He say that? No. But why do we do those things? Because we have a thirst and a want to grow and serve Him. Because of love for others, we serve. Because of love for Him, we want to grow. Amen? It's not because we have to. It's because we want to. Love compels us. His command isn't to obey the Sabbath. His command isn't to obey tradition. His command isn't to read a certain type of Bible. His command isn't for more sacrifices. His call is to love. And love being an action means there will be times you have to get uncomfortable to make someone else comfy. It means that you're going to have to go without in order to provide for others, doesn't it? It means that you're going to have to bite your tongue in order to build others up. That's what it means to love others. That's what it means to love God. Listen, I'm sure that there was plenty of other days that there, there was plenty of other things to do for anybody that works here on Awana on Wednesday night and when it used to be on Friday. Back when it was on Friday, you know how many people, how many, how many times people would call and say, Hey, do you want to go to the movies? Hey, do you want to do that? Do you want to come over and eat lunch, uh, dinner? Do you want to do this? Do you want to do that? I'm sure there was a million other reasons not to be here serving the kids. But it was a love for God and a love for the children that sat people down Friday after Friday and Wednesday after Wednesday to do the job. Why? Because you treat people the way you want to be treated. The love that you want to receive, you give. That's what it means to live by the golden standard of Jesus Christ. His law of love. And in this new relationship that we grow in Jesus, Jesus says, we become close to Him as friends. Did you see that? Did you catch that? I no longer call you servants. I call you my friends. Why? Because now we are not just being told what to do. We're standing up next to Him. And we're joining Him in this work to love others. Why? Because when you see that the law is love, you get it. You get it. 
And you no longer have to be told what to do. Why? Because you're living out the love that's in you. And your love that's for Jesus. In verse 16, when he says, You did not choose me, I chose you. A lot of people get this a little confused. This passage isn't talking about salvation. He's reminding them of the day that He called them from their tax booths, from their fishing boats, from their fishing nets, from under the fig trees. And how other rabbis look at them and saw them as worthless and not worth time. The other rabbis of, of Jesus' time, they looked at those guys, those young guys, and they said, you know what? They, they don't get it. They don't get the laws. They don't get exactly what it's supposed to be talking about. Other rabbis went towards the Pharisees. Other rabbis went towards the Sadducees. Other rabbis went for people that could quote tons of Scripture. And Jesus saw them as the ones with hearts with the greatest potential to fulfill His law of love. Galatians 5.14 says, For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. In the statement that you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You see, Paul, he says, hey look, you know, when, when I was a Pharisee, I was blameless. No one could ever come to me and say, oh, well, you forgot about this law and this application of the law. There's 615 different laws, and there was at least five different ways to interpret that based on tradition. And so Paul says, based on those things, I was blameless. He says, until. Until I came across in the Ten Commandments, Thou shalt not covet. Why would he say that? He's saying because I realized at that moment that the Ten Commandments weren't just outward actions to check off. I realized that the Ten Commandments were a mind thing and a heart thing. That yeah, maybe I haven't strangled somebody to death and thou shalt not murder, but you know how many times I murder them with my words or murder them in my mind? That's why Paul says, man, when, when I was faced with thou shalt not covet, I realized, wow, I'm a sinner. He was confronted by that. That the law isn't just a physical thing. It's, a, it's something that gets to your inner core. It's a law of love. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. It's one word, love. We all want love, don't we? We're all searching for it, longing for it, and excited when it comes our way. Right? I mean, even Alfalfa, if you guys remember uh, Saturday Night Live, that, that Alfalfa sings the... Um, no, it wasn't Alfalfa. It was Buckwheat sings the uh, love songs, right? Eddie Murphy, looking for wub in all the warm places. Oh man, that was so funny. We all want love, don't we? We're all searching for it. And Paul says the, lo the law is love. 
And Jesus says in Matthew chapter 7, if you want love, you have to give love. Why? Why? Because I'm going to tell you this right here. Is that if you're going to be following Jesus, that if you are going to try to represent Him here on this earth, that if you want to have a meaningful relationship with Jesus. Now, let's take our salvation out of this. I'm talking about following Jesus and maturing in our growth. That love is the trademark of following Jesus. Love is the trademark. If, if, if there was anything that was trademarked by Jesus, it's love. That God didn't love us. I mean, that, that, that we didn't love God. Excuse me. I totally messed that up. That we didn't love God. That before we even knew Him, Christ died for us. John said, hey look, I didn't even know what love was until Jesus. Every one of us could look at that and realize that. That Jesus gave the ultimate example of love. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. That is the example of love. His arms couldn't have embraced us any wider as He embraced the cross of Calvary. Amen? Love is the trademark of following Jesus. So if you want to follow Jesus, love needs to be at your heart. And because love is a verb, it needs to be in your actions. But what does it look like? What does this love that we're being called to look like? Go a couple verses away from where we are in Galatians to Galatians 6, 1-5. Galatians 6, 1-5, it says, Brethren, even if anyone is caught in any trespass you are, who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, each one looking to yourself, so that you too will not be tempted. Verse 2, bear one another's burdens and thereby fulfill the law of Christ. What's the law of Christ? He says, love one another. This is my new command that I give you. Matthew chapter 7, he says, hey, guess what? The law of the prophets, the law of God, it's fulfilled in this. Love. Bear one another's burdens and thereby fulfill the law of Christ. Do you see that action? For if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But each one must examine his own work, and then he will have reason for boasting in regard to himself alone and not in regard to another. For each one will bear his own load. In this passage, Paul is talking about how to handle delicate situations. Because delicate situations show us love, don't they? It's not just in going up to somebody and saying hello and saying, I love you, brother. Right? Because that's kind of just lip service. John even mentions that. He says, hey, listen, if somebody comes up to you and says they're hungry or that they're cold and they have no coat, and then you say, hey, peace, brother, go, be blessed. He's like, how did you express love? 
In this passage, Paul is handling the delicate situations in life. He isn't saying if this happens or should it take place. This is what you should do if ever, right? No, what does Paul say? He says, when. Why? Because every one of us is going to be confronted with this situation. And so what Paul is doing is he's telling us how to handle situations with love in our heart. When your brother trespasses against you or sins in life in hard moments, you're to bear one another's burden. He's not saying you're struggling in life because you must have sin. Or your pet died because you're a liar. Or you're sick because you must be cheating on your wife. That's not what's being talked about here. Because side by side, it's written both different types of things taking place. Two different types of attack. An attack by Satan in life, or just life dumping on you. And then the struggle against temptation. Paul's brought both topics of sin and situation together and said, hey look, work with one another. Why? Because you would want someone to work with you. The golden rule. When life is dumping on you, wouldn't you like someone to come alongside you and just lift you up a little bit? The golden rule. And so brought, Paul has brought this topic here. Paul has written about failure and temptation and life struggle side by side because both have the tendency to swallow us and make us feel isolated and lonely. And doesn't Satan live to make us feel isolated and lonely? You're the only one dealing with this. You're the only one with this situation in your life. You're doing, this is happening to you because of, Right? With that said, let's start verse 1, dealing with one another's sin. He says this, verse 1, Brethren, even if anyone is caught in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore the one in a spirit of gentleness, each one looking to yourself, so that you too will not be tempted. Brethren, or we could say family of God, or church, Those that have been bought with the precious blood of Jesus and united by His love. If any is caught in trespass. Let's stop there. What's a trespass? Today we have signs on this property that say private property, no trespass. We have to put it on the basketball court because we were having people come and drink and and leave their beer cans all over our basketball court and bend our rims, tear down our nets, and all that sort of stuff. It was getting really, really bad. Going to the bathroom on our walls, really great stuff. Things of like great high moral character. And so we had to put signs out that said, private property, no trespass. Why? It lets people know that, hey look, if you're here, this is not yours. This is mine. And if you're here, you're not supposed to be here. That means you are trespassing. So don't come over here thinking that what I got is yours, right? In the New Testament, it's similar. It's the word peripetemati. 
And it means to take a false setup or a wrongdoing or sin. So we're being told, if your church family has falsely stepped into sin, you who are spiritual, those that are mature, help them out. If they've accidentally stepped onto a property that is not theirs, why would he say a property that's not theirs? Well, because you are a new creation in Jesus. And so sin is against that new nature that is in you. And you will sin, but you're stepping out into something different. And so he's saying, hey, listen, as that person ventures out and they step into sin, that that property that's not theirs, I want you to help them because you're spiritually mature. The word means to, to spiritually be able and be spiritually strong. That's what it means to be mature. You're spiritually strong. You're able to bear a load. You're able to pull. But how are we to do it? He gives us the words. He says, uh, you know, just help them out in a spirit of gentleness. The problem is so many Christians, they think, you know what? I'm spiritually more mature than you. And they lay a smack down on people. Right? They just go right after them and they're like, you're sinning! Right? And, and that's not what Paul says at all. He says you're to go alongside them and in the spirit of gentleness and love. Bear that person up in their trespass. Help them out. You're, you're literally supposed to be coming up underneath that person. That's what it means to bear. You're lifting up. You're helping lift up that person in their time of trespass. Their time of struggle. Bear one another's burdens and thereby fulfill the law of Christ. But you do it in a spirit of love and gentleness. He says here, bear, to lift one another's burden. Bare, it literally means to lift a heavy load. The next it says, bearing others fulfills the law of love. It's loving Christ and expressing love for others. So we're supposed to lift up, we're supposed to help people out, we're supposed to, when they're struggling and sin, to help them out. But bearing others fulfills the law of love. It's loving Christ and expressing it through love for others. Turn to Mark chapter 14, Mark chapter 12. Mark chapter 12. Jesus perfectly paints this and just combines the two thoughts for us so we could see it so perfectly and see how Paul would come and say, hey, you know what? If you really want to fulfill the law of love, you're to bear one another in their trespass and in their sin. And here, Jesus says these words in Mark chapter 12, verses 28 to 30. It says, One of the scribes came and heard them arguing and recognized that he had answered them well and asked him, What commandment is the foremost of all? So of course the Pharisees, they're coming after Jesus and question after question after question. And Jesus is just shutting them all up. He's he's doing it and, and answering them correctly. They're trying to test Him with Scripture. Why would they do that? Because they're trying to legitimize His rabbi. Are you a legitimate rabbi? Because you didn't go through schooling like we did. Let me ask you all these questions that we had to go through. And that's what they're doing. 
Are you really a good teacher? That's what they're doing. They're challenging him over and over and over again. And so the scribe, who's a writer and a keeper of the law, he sits back and he's watching and he's listening and he hears that Jesus has answered everything correctly. In verse 29, Jesus answers his question. What commandment is the foremost of all? Jesus answers, the foremost is Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind and all your strength. That's known as the Shema to the Jewish people. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one God. This was a declaration that Yahweh made to Israel as they came out of Egypt. Why would He say the Lord your God is one God? Because Egypt had a gods of many gods. And so Yahweh was saying to them, hey listen, you don't worship the God of the Nile. You don't worship Osiris. You don't worship any of the other gods of of Egypt anymore. You worship one God and that is Me because I am higher and greater than any of the demons that you used to worship in Egypt. And I'm one. And I'm over all. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the One that called you out of Egypt, the One that said, I am that I am, the self-existing One. He is one God. And you shall love that God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. What does it mean to love the Lord in that way? What does it mean to love the Lord with your heart, your soul, your mind, and your strength? Well, Jesus says the word heart, it's cardia. And it's literally the center of vigor in your physical life. He's like, hey, listen, let let Jesus be what wakes you up in the morning. to live another day and breathe another day for Him. Let Him be your psyche. Let Him be your soul. Let Him be your breath of life and sustainer. Let Him be your mind, the diania, your thoughts and your understanding. Let everything that you process in your mind be processed through Him and your love for Him. As you go through life, ask yourself the question, is this going to help me grow spiritually in Christ? Is this going to please God? That's what it means to love your God with your mind. Oh, and then let it be with your strength, your iskus, your ability, your force, your might. Meaning you're giving it your all. My coach, he used to ask us, did you leave it all out on the mat? Because what ends up happening is when you're an athlete and you lose, you beat yourself up. You're you're thinking of all the things that you did wrong, never thinking of any of the things you did right. You're relieving every situation that you made a mistake on that mat, or maybe on the basketball court, or on the field, whatever it might be. 
And I remember, I'd, I, you know, especially in the beginning, you know, I'm, I'm a, a freshman wrestling against seniors because I, I, I made the varsity team, but I wasn't that great on the varsity team. You're a ninth grader, you don't have the same muscle tone and everything as the, as the seniors. And so I was beating myself up, and my coach, he grabbed my shoulders, and, and he goes, did you leave it all out there on the mat? And I realized... What it's all about is giving it your all. So you could say, I held nothing back. There's not a bit of me that could go any further. I stretched until I couldn't stretch anymore. If I would have stretched anymore, I would have snapped. I left it all out there. Every bit of my energy went out to this match, and you know what? The guy was just better. That's all. That's all that is. He was just better. It wasn't because I held back anything. I didn't have anything in reserve. And God is saying with your strength in every bit of you, hold nothing back for God. Amen? Love Him with every bit of your ability. Because that's what it means to love God. It's like a marriage. When you first date someone, it's usually because there's a physical draw, right? There's an attraction there. And then when you get to know them intellectually, after some time, you get engaged. Because you guys have a lot of similar interests and things of that nature. And after you marry, there's the, you know, the, the honeymoon period where everything's just you know, cherries and everything's great. And then... And then a year hits and you're like, what did I do? I, I was like, man, I'm a lucky guy. Meg was going, what did I do? <laughs> but then there's a different connection that takes place. Why? Because there is one, two becoming one flesh. There's nothing held back or, or there should be nothing held back in a marriage. Everything should be combined. Everything that you're thinking should be thought in the other person. You're running everything by that person. Your best friend is that person. Your greatest ally is that person. The biggest cheerleader you have in your life is that person. Right? There's a connection financially, physically, mentally, and locationally. And that's the same thing that Jesus is speaking about here in the love that you have with the Lord. You're holding nothing back. Lord, all I have is Yours. You gave it to me anyway. And I love You with all of it. And Jesus takes this even further by saying the application isn't going to be found in the law or tradition. He says, listen, you know, as, as the scribe is listening to this, he says, this is the foremost law. The Shema. We heard it, you know, our, our ancestors heard it as they came out of Egypt. Love this one God higher than anything else. Open up your all to Him. And he says, oh, but you know what? The second. The second law. The second law is how we really fulfill the first law here on earth. Listen to what he says. The second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. 
Now I want you to take a second and think about this answer. The second most important thing a person can do to please God is love their neighbor. And this is what Paul is getting to in Galatians chapter 6 and Jesus is getting to in Matthew chapter 7. The key to the entire passage is found in verse 1 and it's defined in verses 3 to 5. Take a look. We'll go back. Galatians chapter 6, verse 1. You who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, each one looking to yourself so that you will not be tempted. Verse 3 through 6. For if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself, but each one must examine his own work, and then he will have reason for boasting in regard to himself alone and not in regard to another, for each one must bear his own load. It is the spiritual mature that must engage in restoring a brother. A mature believer is defined in verses 3 through 6 as one that thinks of others. He checks himself to make sure that the same struggle that brother is dealing with, they don't have in their own life. And then they can go alongside and restore. Not in a spirit of gossip. Notice how he talks about that. He's like, not going and boasting, not going and thinking highly of yourself, not going around and doing anything shady. Why? Because verses 3-6 through show what it takes when you're a mature believer. And he talks about, hey, don't go to the immature. Why? Because they'll boast. They'll boast to others. They'll go and start talking about the struggle while you're struggling in life. And that's a sign of an immature believer. Anytime you need to tell others about someone's struggle, anytime you have to diminish somebody else in somebody else's eyes to make yourself look great, either in sin or situation, you're participating in gossip to boost your own self-esteem. And Paul's saying, hey, look, don't, don't, don't do that. Listen, when you need surgery, who do you go to? The mechanic, right? We all go to the mechanic. We go to Joe. Joe Lovin. We go up to him and we say, hey, Joe, you know what? I got this mole I need you to check out. It looks a little weird, right? No, you don't go to a mechanic when you have something physical that's taking place. Right? You, you don't go to the plumber when you need your car worked on. You go to the person that has studied surgery and medicine and knows what you need. Why? Because when you need it, you need to know that the person knows how to help. And that's why he says, hey, look, the mature need to help out the immature and those struggling. The problem is a lot of people, they go to people that are not there in their own spiritual life. They go up to people and they say, hey, you know what? I'm thinking of leaving my wife. What do you think about that? Well, man, I'll buy you another round. Let's, let's do it. Sounds good, right? And God's saying, hey, listen, I want you to go to the spiritually mature because they are able to sift through things on a spiritual level. And then they'll keep it quiet and not gossip about it. Because that's what it means to love someone. The problem today is we run to the immature and we get bad advice. 
Man, I'd rather you guys go to Dr. Phil than that. Right? We, we have marriage issues, so we go to somebody that's already had ten divorces, right? We're, we're, we're dealing with sexual sin, and so we go to somebody that's immature, and they go begin to talk about it. But Jesus says, hey, look, I, I, I want you to deal in love. Don't go to a me- mechanic when you have a toothache. Why? Because you only create more problems. Yeah, he might have the tools to get it out. That's true. Ask, ask Joe. He's got the tools to pull that tooth. But it's, it's going to hurt quite a bit. And it's going to create more problems. So you who are mature, love. Love up on those people in pain. Love up in those people that have sin in their life. That's what you're called to do as mature. Why? Because there's going to be a time in your life, or there was a time in your life, that somebody loved on you. At the heart of Jesus is love. That's His trademark. And at the heart of every follower, we should have the heart of Jesus. Brothers and sisters, the golden rule is a rule of love. The golden rule is a lifestyle choice. The golden rule says, hey, you know what? I'm going to fill other people up with love and I'm going to love my God. Because He first loved me. And He proved it on the cross of Calvary. Amen? Love others the way you want to be loved. Thank you for joining the Transform 365 podcast, a ministry dedicated to helping you grow in relationship to Christ. If you want to know more, find us at transform365.com or on our church website, www.swcc.org, located in Miami, Florida. Until next time, remember, the only work in grace is to let grace work in you. God bless.